The Woman King from the sermon series God on Film, spoken by Pastor Peter on. Anyone watch The Woman King? Let me see your hands. A few? Okay, it was excellent. Uh, some critics call it the female version of Braveheart. I uh, highly encourage you guys to check it out. But before we get started in this movie, I just want to congratulate our women's football team. Uh, they played flag football yesterday. They had a tournament. They made it to the playoffs, but lost in the playoffs, but they worked so hard. Anyone here? I mean, anyone here from the women's team, can you stand up? We would like to acknowledge you. Anyone? Oh, they're home icing. All right, Pastor Shirley, if you see Pastor Shirley, just touch her legs. Pastor Shirley played and she was walking, like it took her 20 minutes to get to the, the front door here today because she is so sore from head to toe. And so Sunita also was playing yesterday and I heard they both did wonderful, but we're just so grateful for our ladies for putting that kind of commitment. And we hope next year you'll bring the title, you'll bring the title uh, to this church. But, uh, you know, The Woman King is, is a real powerful movie. It's a true story that took place in the early 1800s in Western Africa. And the premise of this movie was that there was a kingdom that it highlighted. It's called the Dahomey Kingdom. The Dahomey Kingdom was under the Oyo Empire. And uh, the Oyo Empire, what happened was that it took its own people during this time, the early 1800s, and they sold them to slavery to countries, European countries like Portugal and other countries like that. And we know that to be the Atlantic slave trade. If you've done your study on history, you know what that means. It was a very dark period in Africa during this time. African kings and African leaders, what they did was they took their own people and they sold them into slavery so that they can financially profit from it. Really sad. It's an awful, messy truth, which the movie addresses to some degree. It's not fully accurate, but it does address it to some degree. The Dahomey kingdom was a very unique kingdom because they had a special army force called the Agoji Army. The Agoji Army was an all-women's army. This is a true story. In fact, many of you excited to watch Wakanda forever. And within that movie, you know, the women warriors, they get them from the Agoji tribe. So these Agoji women were these army, they were these elite soldiers that were like, kind of like the Navy SEALs of our day. And they would go into battle and they would win battles. They would win wars. The main character in the movie is Namniska, which was played by Viola Davis. She did an amazing job in that movie. And so this movie really what it does is that it focuses on the messiness of our lives. And I don't know about you, but our lives, at least when I look at my life, well, some of your lives may not be as messy as mine, but I just think life is messy. There's so much mess sometimes that enters into our lives. There's so much mess that sometimes happens as a result of us living a certain way, and we create a mess. If you can identify with that, life is messy. It's not neat. And I would say the same thing when it comes to spirituality. Spirituality was never meant for it to be neat, perfect, and non-messy. No, actually, spirituality is very messy. And when you look at the Bible, you'll find that there are a litany of characters in the Bible where God used people to change the face of this world and the history of this world, and they were yet so messed up. They were messed up people, right? They were messed up people. I think when you look at characters like Abraham and Sarah, you look at those characters. You remember Sarah? Because she was not able to get pregnant, she told Abraham to sleep with their maid and have a child, and they did. Hagar, and they had their son, Ishmael. And, and Sarah really struggled with the reality of that, even though she's the one who told Abraham to do it. Remember when the angel was visiting Abraham, and, uh, and he said, hey, you know what? Sarah's going to have a baby this time next year. What does Sarah do? She was in the kitchen. She just laughed at his face. 
Remember that? She just didn't believe. She didn't believe. But yet God still did it. She got pregnant and she gave birth, right? What about Abraham? Abraham struggled with so much fear because his wife was so beautiful that when they were traveling from different kingdoms to different lands, that he said, listen, if kings see that we're married, they're probably going to kill me. So Sarah, is it okay if we can say that we're siblings? Because I don't want to die. I'm too scared to die. I can't protect you. So if they, say that we're, if they believe that we're siblings, then everything's going to be okay, right? And Sarah agrees to it. You think she wanted to do that? No, because what would happen back in those days? There was no such thing as consent, a woman's consent back in those days. If a king wanted to be with you physically, guess what would happen? It would happen, even if you don't want to, because a king is a king. It happened on two occasions, and Abraham did not stick up or fight for his wife because he was so afraid. Abraham was messed up, and yet the Bible says that he's the father of many. He's the father of faith. What about Moses? Moses was a murderer, wasn't he? He was. What about David? I mean, David was really messed up. He not only committed adultery on Bathsheba, but then he had Bathsheba's husband die in battle. And on top of that, do you know how dysfunctional David's family was? I mean, I don't know if there was a more dysfunctional family in the Bible than David's family, right? Because David's daughter was raped by one of his sons. One of David's other sons wanted to kill him and take over his kingship and took his women, his concubines as well. David's family was messed up. David was messed up. And yet the Bible still says he's a man after God's own heart. Interesting, isn't it? What about the disciples? You see these 12 men. These 12 men were misfits. They were called rejects back in those days. A Jewish parent's dream for their son would always be that they'd be chosen by a, by a rabbi to be mentored and spiritually trained. That was a Jewish parent's hope for their son. These 12 were rejects. They weren't chosen because they didn't see any potential within them. The majority of them were blue-collar workers. One chose a profession where people called them crooks. He was a tax collector. And the other one stole money from the group of people from the ministry of Jesus Christ and actually betrays Jesus unto his death. And his name is Judas Iscariot. These 12 that Jesus chose were messy. They were pretty messed up, and yet Jesus chose them. And these 12, well, the 11 changed the face of this world, and Christianity was changed forever. What is it about messy spirituality that Jesus sees in us that really draws us to him? You see, I think if you want to be spiritual today, it's not about it being composed, neat, and perfect. If you really want to be spiritual in God's eyes, it's really about you embracing this idea of messy spirituality. So today what we're going to do is we're going to meet a man in the Bible. He sees Jesus. He's blind. And Jesus, he hears him, and he, and he grabs the attention of Jesus Christ. And we're going to look at the story of this blind man, and we're going to really ask the question, what is it about this man that really drew Jesus to him, and what do we learn about messy spirituality? All right, so if you're ready for that, please turn with me to Luke 18. We're going to look at verses 35 to 42. Luke 18, verses 35 to 42. I am reading from the New Living Translation, the New Living Translation. Verse 35, as Jesus approached Jericho, a blind beggar was sitting beside the road. When he heard the noise of a crowd going past, he asked what was happening. They told him that Jesus the Nazarene was going by. So he began shouting, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Be quiet, the people in front yelled at him. But he only shouted louder, son of David, have mercy on me. When Jesus heard him, he stopped and ordered that the man be brought to him. As the man came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, he said, I want to see. And Jesus said, all right, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Instantly, the man could see. 
and he followed Jesus, praising God. And all who saw it, praise God too. This is the word of God. Let's bow our heads for a moment in prayer. And so God, we come to you today. We thank you for the story recorded in the Bible because it really helps us to get a deeper insight on what messy spirituality is. Lord, I just thank you that you're not, you're not turned off by the messiness of our lives. But in fact, you're actually quite drawn to it. So Lord, I just pray for anyone here who suffers under legalism, who suffers under guilt because they feel like they're just not good enough for you. God, I pray that you would um, create a, a, a tremendous breakthrough in their lives today, that they would be able to embrace you as they accept even the messiness of their lives, God. And so help us to understand what messy spirituality is really about. And may we be able to live that out for our lives so that our lives can be completely transformed in you. And so God, I pray that the words that come out of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts in this room would be pleasing unto you. And so it is in your name that we pray and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. So Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, and before he, as he's doing that, he makes a pit stop to Jericho. And as he's on his journey, Jesus hears a blind man yelling at the top of his lungs. This blind man was a beggar. It's, uh, he was viewed in society as someone who was expendable. It wasn't really important because he only took from society. He never gave anything back, right? And so that was sort of his role. Back in those days, it's really important for you to note that his family also rejected him. He was excommunicated for his, uh, from his family. And the reason why that was the case was because when somebody was born with some kind of disability like that, they interpreted that as being, you have been cursed by God. And so as a result of it, it's caused a lot of shame on the family. And so they excommunicated uh, themselves from this blind man. So you can only imagine what he's been going through his whole life. He's never received love. His well-being is dependent heavily upon him begging for money every single day. And so when he hears that Jesus is around, because people were kind of, there was a commotion going on, and he hears that Jesus is in town, what does he do? He yells at the top of his lungs, and he says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And then what do the people around him say? They say, shut up, you're too loud. You cannot act like this because a blind person needs to be reduced. They cannot be outgoing. They cannot disturb what's happening in society. So they tell him to shut up. And what happens? He gets even louder. He gets even louder and he yells really at the top of his lungs, trying to grab the attention of Jesus Christ. And that's significant because a lot of times, even in our own nature, it's sort of in our nature oftentimes to silence those who interrupt our routine activities and even our understanding. Isn't that so true? We don't like people who speak up, who sort of are not about the status quo, who refuse to keep quiet. The reality is, I think for a lot of us, we would much rather have people be quiet than say disturbing things about genuine faith. And that's true, I think, for a lot of us, particularly the longer maybe we've been in church. The blind man looked, was looked down upon by people who was with Jesus. His condition drew people away from Jesus Christ. But this is why I love Jesus. Jesus wasn't repulsed by him. In fact, Jesus, something clicks with Jesus, and he says, bring the man forward. What was it about this man's messy spirituality that Jesus was so attracted to? And how can you and I begin to embrace a spirituality that's not neat, that's not perfect, but it's actually messy? What is it about messy spirituality? The first thing we learn in this story is this. Messy spirituality is not pretending. Messy spirituality is not pretending. This blind man was anything but pretending. He was his true, authentic self, so much so that people tried to silence him because he was just being who he is. 
He embraced the reality of who he is. And if you ever want to get to a place where you're spiritual, hear me on this. You got to stop pretending. You got to stop being drawn to live a life where you're trying to pretend, where you're trying to, to create an image, perhaps maybe, that it's, that's really not true and accurate to who you really are. There is a beauty to who you are. The beauty of it, it also consists of even the warts and all. The bad stuff about you isn't so bad in God's eyes. In fact, some of those things will draw you closer to God if you can just learn to embrace it rather than keep on pretending as you engage in your relationship with God, but also as you engage in your relationship with other people. There is no pretending in spirituality. And if you really want to be spiritual today, you got to get to a place in your life where you'll say, starting today, it's going to stop. It's going to stop, not with everyone you come and meet, but at least the people that are in your circle, that you will stop pretending and you will actually be honest about who you really are. That there will be a sense of vulnerability within you, that you can be open and honest about where you are, where you stand, the confusions or the things that you might be struggling with today, so that you can encounter the real God. You see, this blind man wasn't pretending. He was being his true self, and it caught the eyes of Jesus Christ because he was being truly authentic and vulnerable. You know that people who often pretend will have pretend relationships. People who often pretend, the best case scenario for them is pretend relationships. And I think as guys, it's harder for us, especially as we get older, because I see, even as I engage in different relationships with other people, that we're so like, interested in talking about things that are really not deeper on what we might be going through. We love talking about sports, we love talking about different things, you know, different recreational type stuff, but we don't really talk about what's going on in our lives and in our hearts. And I think it's the same way spiritually. A lot of us, we grew up in churches and we don't have an understanding or a theology where we can really be authentic and real before God. Some of us, we struggle even in our prayers with God. Some of you have doubts about God, but you can never express that in your prayers. God forbid you express that in your prayers. You think something bad might happen to you. And so you go into prayer, even sort of pretending, not really being honest with what you might be feeling or emotions that you might be going through. Some of you might be angry with God, but you don't have a theology where you can be honest and be angry with God. Because you think that if you can show anger towards God, you're probably not a real Christian. You might go to hell. Maybe you grew up in traditions teaching you that. And what I love about the Psalms, because when you read the Psalms, get a chance to check it out sometime. You'll find that there are moments where Jesus, where David just praises God. He is elated. He's worshiping God in spirit and in truth. Then there are moments when he doubts God. There are moments when he actually curses God. These are the moments where you realize that in order to be a human being, in order for you to be a person created in the Imago Dei, you and I both have to be able to facilitate all the diversity of the human emotions that we've been afforded in our lives. And if we continue to live our lives, preventing us from ex exempting ourselves from experiencing certain emotions, we're not really human. Because what happens is that we don't live intimate life. Do you realize that you and I, and I know some of you don't like hearing this, particularly the dudes, do you know that we were created for intimacy? Like true intimacy. You were created to be fully known, to not have secrets. Some of us, we protect our lives, and you know what we spend so much of our life doing when we're in relationships with people, particularly important ones? We spend so much of our time protecting our secrets so that nobody finds out. The reason why I know that is because I used to do that all the time. I used to always protect my secrets. I didn't want anyone in the church to know the kind of life I've had to live, the kind of family that I grew up in. I mean, my father was an elder in the church, for heaven's sakes. 
I couldn't be honest about that. I had to keep these secrets bottled up deep within me. There was no place for me to be honest and real with God. And what I love about the Psalms is that you see that there is this real relationship. And I love reverence because you and I should always have reverence for God. But understand this, reverence for God must always lead to intimacy. If your reverence for God is causing you not to be intimate with Jesus, then you're probably just living a very pretend kind of life. You're pretending even in your relationship with Jesus. And so the goal as Christians, if you want to be spiritual, is for you to stop pretending. Say, I'm going to stop doing that from this day forward. Um, our vision in this church is transformation. But how that happens is that my hope, you know what my vision is? Is that all of you can come here regularly on a Sunday and other different functions that we have in the church. And you can learn to embrace your weaknesses. That you can just learn to do that. Because when you and I can learn to embrace our weaknesses, you know what happens? We encounter the strength of God. God's strength is perfected in our weaknesses. And that's why I think God chooses messy, broken people. Because when God chooses people who know that they're messed up, his grace is perfected in them. He does it all the time. And that's why even though Abraham and Sarah were pretty messed up, especially in their relationship, they had a pretty dysfunctional marriage, folks. You got to realize that, right? But yet God still used that family. And when, David, when, when uh, Abraham was 100 and Sarah was 90, they had their first child. When they couldn't biologically have a child because they were so advanced in years, God opened up Sarah's room. Why? Because they were weak. I mean, uh, Moses was a murderer, and yet God still tells him to go back to Egypt to lead his people out of Egypt, and he sees the Red Sea part. It's a beautiful thing. You see it happening with Gideon. When Gideon had to downsize his army from 30,000 men to 300 to go up against an army of 125,000. God does that, and they win. They defeat the Amalekites as a result of it. You see it happening with David. David was a little boy, and he defeats an indomitable Goliath. And again, we see it with the Virgin Mary who gives birth to Jesus the Messiah. God's power and his grace, it works most powerfully when you and I embrace our weaknesses because Jesus says, in your weakness, my strength is perfected in you. Amen. So will you stop pretending? Will you say no more? I'm going to stop doing this because I do believe the, the more you do this, the longer you do this, the death of the soul goes deeper and deeper in our lives. In the movie, in The Woman King, Naniska, who is played by the general, please, I'm, I'm sorry if you're gonna plan to watch the movie, but I'm gonna ruin the movie for you, all right? I'm sorry about that. I'm gonna ruin the movie for you. But I have to, otherwise I can't really talk about the movie. But Viola Davis is the general. And uh, the general, uh, she had a baby. She was raped during her time fighting in battle. She was captured and then she was raped. She got impregnated and she gave birth. But what happened with the Ogoji army, the Ogoji army, in order to be a part of the army, these women had to make a choice. They're either gonna choose to be warriors or they're gonna choose to be in love. And so if they choose to be warriors, the Ogoji, all the women, they had to make a pact that they will have no relationships with a man not even friendships. And so they lived in separate quarters, abstaining themselves from any male contact because they believe you have to make a choice. Either you become a warrior or you, become, you, you fall in love with someone, right? And so because she had this baby, she was, she, she was raped, guys. She was raped. 
She had this baby, and then somebody from the army that she trusted took that baby and gave her up for adoption. That, that baby, later on, she reunites with it, is Nawi. Nawi, who is one of the main actors in the movie, she's reunited. She's one of the greatest warriors. She's a part of the Agoji uh, army, and they get, reconnect, they get reconnected. But her entire life, Namniska, played by Viola Davis, what she did was she pretended that this baby never existed. She pretended the entire movie that this never happened because to be an agoji, you cannot have relations with a man. This, she didn't do this intentionally. This happened to her. And yet she couldn't be honest about it. And as a result, if you watch the movie, she has nightmares regularly because she lives her life pretending all the time. I do believe that when we continue to live our lives pretending all the time, we will have nightmares. We will have nightmares because our lives were never meant to be lived in a way where you are pretending. Our lives are meant to be lived in a place where you can be honest with a few people and be honest about who you really are. Will you make a commitment to stop pretending? Some of you, you've gone through some hard times in your life, things that you didn't do to yourself, it was done to you. And you're still pretending that none of it's ever happened to you. You're still pretending your relationships, even your relationship with maybe close people and spouse, that it never happened to you. If you really wanna be spiritual, you gotta be willing to give all of that to the Lord and even go to him with all of it and allow your emotions to engage with Jesus within that. One of the best things you can do in your prayer, I call it an emotional inventory every day. Go to God and just express to him, give him what you're feeling towards him, towards other people. When you can connect with God at that level, I'm telling you, something amazing and dynamic will happen to you, all right? So the first thing, Messy spirituality is not pretending. The second thing about messy spirituality, it's not being competent. It's not about you being competent. I know some of you are looking at me, you're saying, Peter, what in the world are you talking about? Are you saying that incompetence leads to spirituality? Yes, I am. I am suggesting that. I know that's crazy, but stay with me on that, all right? I believe the church has communicated for thousands upon thousands of years that in order for you to be truly spiritual, you have to be competent. You have to show some sense of competency. You have to show some fruits. They, they, they believe competency is a fruit of the spirit, but it's not a fruit of the spirit. Competency is not, a, not part of the fruit of the spirit, right? And so spirituality actually is about you embracing your incompetency. Over the years, I've, as I've been the pastor of this church, I've learned from a lot of you that some of you exempt yourself from doing certain things from God because of your incompetency, right? You say, ah, oh, I can't do that. Like, I can't lead a small group. I don't know the Bible enough. I just can't do that. I, I can't serve in this place. Like, there's just no way I can do that because you're always focusing on your incompetency. How many times have we gotten to a place in our lives where we said no to certain things because we see how incompetent we are? Can anyone relate to that? I know a lot of us can, right? I sure can. We do that all the time. But I want you to know that if you want to embrace spirituality, particularly messy spirituality, you got to embrace your golly incompetence. Why is that so important? Because it's like this blind man. This blind man knew he was incompetent. And what happened because of that? He depended upon somebody who wasn't competent. Who wasn't incompetent. And who is that? Jesus Christ. That's why this is spiritual. When you embrace your incompetency, what begins to happen is then you'll begin to rely upon somebody who is not incompetent and who is that? That's Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. That's what spirituality is about. It's about you embracing your incompetency so that you can learn to rely upon a God who is fully, fully competent. I know this is not easy to do. I know this is hard because we live in a culture today where it's all about competency. I mean, if you can't be competent at work, you'll get fired. 
I get that. Uh, a lot of you go to schools, you get higher degrees so that you can learn to be competent. So this is so counterintuitive to how the world and the culture works. But if you want to be spiritual in the eyes of God, it's not about your competency because if it becomes about your competency, you know what you're becoming? A Pharisee. Because they prided themselves on their competency. God wants you to embrace your incompetence so that you can learn to rely upon a God who is fully competent, and that's Jesus Christ. So incompetence is actually the pathway towards spirituality as long as it leads you to desire God and truly, truly depend upon him. In the movie, uh, in The Woman King, you see again, the women had to make a choice. And the reason why they had to make a choice, whether they're gonna fall in love, meaning being in a relationship with a man or be a warrior, is because they felt that if you were in love, there is no way you can be a competent warrior. And so as a result of it, that was hard. It was hard for Naomi. Naomi was this new budding warrior. She was the best warrior, uh, really best warrior, because she was, her mother was the, was the general. And, uh, but she said to even her mother, she didn't know, she, to the general, she said, I want both. I want to be the best warrior, but I also want to be in love. And she said, you cannot do that. You can only pick one. Because in order for you to be a great warrior, in order for you to be competent as a great warrior, you got to make the sacrifice of not falling in love. And so these women lived a real difficult life. They were great soldiers, but they did that because they wanted to be competent. How many of you have put your life on hold? How many of you have, have prevented yourself from really countering the power of God's love because you're so focused on your competency with God? Now, I'm not saying that you gotta be completely incompetent. I am not saying that. But sometimes when we get so caught up in legalism and Christian legalism, when we get so caught up about certain things that we think we need, I grew up in a very Pentecostal charismatic tradition if you didn't speak in tongues, they looked down upon you. You had to. And we had this one guy in my fellowship group in college. He tried. He tried everything. He fasted and he prayed and he never was able to do it. And he always felt like a lesser than type of Christian out of the whole group. And I know, I can't confirm it. I know that there are some people there, they were faking it. They were faking it because they wanted to be competent. Not with God necessarily, but with the people, their peers. Sometimes our obsession with competency, especially spiritually, leads us down a path that's very dangerous, a path of legalism that really draws us away from God rather than connecting ourselves to him. You know, and for me, like, God called me to be a pastor when I was a senior in high school. I was gung-ho about that calling. But when I got to college, I said, there's no way. I think I heard God wrong because, man, I just struggled so much with sin. And then I started thinking about, like, competency of a pastor. I said, you know, pastors are very smart, right? They do well in school. I didn't do very well in school. Pastors are natural communicators. I wasn't a natural communicator. Got a C minus in communications in college. I mean, I just didn't have the natural gifts. And because I was focusing on what competency looks like in a pastor, for, for about seven years, I decided not to pursue ministry because I was so focused on competency. And when it finally happened, I'll never forget, it was June, right, of 1997. God, I heard God recalling me back into ministry. And I asked him, I said, why do you want this incompetent person to be a pastor 
And he said, that's why, because you're actually quite incompetent. And I know because of your incompetency, you're gonna learn to rely upon me when you do ministry. You see, spirituality is about not your competency, but your incompetency, because it allows you to depend upon a God who's perfect and perfectly competent. Does that make sense? That's what this blind man had. He knew that there's nothing he can do to get himself back on his feet. And he yelled, was un, he was yelling at the top of his lungs, Jesus, son of God, please have mercy on me. Let go of your competency. Embrace your incompetency and depend upon a God who's perfect and see your faith truly grow and see what spirituality can really be about. Then you'll be set free from feeling guilty. I felt guilty so many times just in my own spiritual life. But if you can pursue God without sensing guilt, man, that's powerful. Something different happens when you're able to do that. All right? The last thing, messy spirituality is not being dignified. It's not being dignified. This blind man was anything but dignified. He was undignified, wasn't he? He had no composure. He was uncomposed. I mean, he just went and he yelled at the top of his lungs and he said, I need you to help me. He yelled that for Jesus. Messy spirituality is anything but you being dignified. It's actually you being desperate for Jesus. That's what it's at. Have you ever been desperate for something? If you've ever been desperate for something, you know that desperation leads to you being undignified. You're not composed when you're desperate for something, right? When you're desperate for certain things, it leads you to do things that are just crazy, crazy. Like when the iPhones first came out, I won't embarrass you, but I know some of you camped out and you slept on the streets to get that dang phone. That's crazy. You could have just waited a few weeks. You could have just gotten it easily, but you needed it because you were desperate for that iPhone, right? You were dead. How many of you, man, I'm telling you, when you're desperate to meet somebody, you want to start dating them, you do some crazy things so that they can fall in love with you, like some really crazy things. It just makes you scratch your head. Like I had a friend who drove to Michigan every weekend to see his quote unquote girlfriend. That's desperation, man. He didn't care. He loved it. Why? Because he was desperate to have somebody love him, right? Desperation leads to you living life quite undignified. Why are you living your life so dignified before God? Why does everything have to be so perfect when you go before God? Because when you do that, you're not going to be able to really follow him. God doesn't want you to be composed when you approach him. He wants you to be desperate like this blind man. He wants you to go to him and he wants you to yell and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. There is a desperation. And I worry about some of us because when was the last time you actually felt desperate for Jesus? When was the last time you actually really needed Jesus when you realized that no one can help you out right now, but it's only Jesus Christ? Because if you've been there, man, you're blessed. I envy you because there's an energy and there's a passion that you have for Jesus Christ. But for some of us, man, what happened to us? Why are we where we are today? Why do we just come here like just so emotionless, just like, all right, God, well, let's see if you can do something for me today. Why are we desperate for him? We've become these spoiled saints. Look at what he says again in verse 37. 
They told him, this is the crowd that Jesus the Nazarene was going by. So he began shouting, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. That was so undignified what he did. And they said, be quiet. The people in front of him yelled at him, but he shouted louder. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Folks, I need you to know the spirituality is never about you being composed. It's about you being desperate for Jesus. Because when you can learn to be desperate for him, you become undignified. You do crazy things, and you're willing to do crazy things for Jesus. Because you know that he is worthy of your trust. My hope is that you would pray, but it's a dangerous prayer today. Some of you need to be desperate for Jesus again. Some of you need to be desperate for Jesus because it's been a very long time since you've actually sensed that desperation. You need to be desperate before him, and I hope that you'll open yourself up so that you can be desperate before him in that way. You see, what was so beautiful about this blind man, what I love about this story, is actually not the healing. His desperation, yeah, it leads to healing, but to me, I think that's ancillary. Because what happens with his desperation, I don't know if you caught it in verse 40, 42 and 43. Let's just look at that one more time, verse 42 and 43. Look at what it says. When he was yelling at the top of his lungs, Jesus said, all right, all right, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Instantly the man could see, and he followed Jesus, praising God. And all who saw it praised God too. Did you catch it? Did you catch the real miracle? The real miracle to me wasn't necessarily the healing so that he could see. But what did that lead to? You catch it? He follows Jesus. That's the key. You see, his sight wasn't just so that he can live his life the way he wants to live it now. Jesus gave him his sight, and what happened to him, Metro? He begins to follow Jesus. You see, why is it so important for you and I to be desperate for Jesus? It's because when you can be desperate, you know what happens? You follow Jesus. You know there's no one more, there's no one better that you can follow but Jesus Christ. And that's why desperation is so key here. Because the more desperate you become, the more you want to follow Jesus Christ. And that's the beautiful thing about the story. And, the, and so that's why God wants you to embrace a spirituality that's not dignified. That's why he wants you to embrace a spirituality where you and I will stop pretending and you can be your true, authentic, vulnerable self. That's why he wants you and I to embrace a spirituality where we would truly pursue him with all of our heart mind, and soul. The blind man follows him. What I love about this is that not only does the blind man start to follow, but everyone around the blind man that saw what was going on, what were they doing? They were praising God. You see, your messy spirituality or your level of desperation for Jesus Christ, you know what's going to do? People are going to see that and they're going to praise God. They're going to say, I want to live like that. And I think one of the Things of re the reason why uh, spirituality is just dying in this country is because we've lost all sense of desperateness for him. And I know, listen, I, I'm not judging you because I get that too. There are moments where I'm just not desperate for Jesus. And so my hope today is, will you really embrace your messy spirituality today? Will you just embrace you being messed up, being the kind of person you are today, and realize that if you continue to pretend, you're gonna go down a path that's not healthy. If you continue to wanna to be composed and you focus your spirituality on competency rather than your incompetency, then you're gonna start going towards a path where you're not gonna need God anymore. 
And if you're always about being dignified in church and being dignified in your relations with people, then guess what? You'll never know what it means to be desperate for God. You'll never know what it means to receive your sight, be able to see Jesus in a way where you'll learn to follow him day after day. The climax of the movie is that the Dahomey uh, kingdom decides to go to war with the Oyo Empire. They were heavily underdogs. They decided to go and decided to say, all right, we're going to go to war because we cannot tolerate the Oyo Empire taking our people and selling them into slavery. And so Naniska says, you know what? We should go to war. The king was like, if we do this, we're probably going to lose. She said, well, some things are worth fighting for. Let's go, my king. Let's go to war. So they go to war. And guess what happens? Again, spoiler alert, they win. They win, all right? And, uh, but in the midst of that, there were casualties. What happened was that the Oyo Empire took a group of the Ogoji army, and they took them with them as POWs. And one of those women was actually Nawi, Naniska's daughter, right? And so she goes to the king, Naniska goes to the king, and says, we need, to, we need to go back and get our girls. King has no idea that's his daughter, that's her daughter. And he said, no, 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 I order you not to. Those women were the casualties of our freedom. It's okay. Let them die. Let them be sold to slavery. And he said, I order you, Naniska, and everyone, you are not to go and try to free them. When a king gives an order in a monarchy, you listen to it. There is no disobedience. But what does Naniska do? In her desperation, she disobeys the king. She takes her army. She goes. She's able to free her daughter, and they're able to reunite. Well, the king finds out what she did. And what happened as they were in battle trying to free the women soldiers, Agoji soldiers, Naniska fights the general of the Oyo Empire, and she kills him. And as a result of that, the Oyo Empire is destroyed, and they will no longer ever be a threat to the Dahomey Kingdom. When she comes back, she says, I will resign immediately because of what I've done, disobeying you. I will do all those things. And so she said that she would do all of those things, and I will receive whatever punishment you feel fit to give to me. And she was prepared. You know what the king does? Crowns her as the first woman king in the history of our world because of her bravery, because of her desperateness in that way. This blind man was so desperate for Jesus. Blind people with that kind of disability were not allowed to disrupt society during the day. But when they told him Jesus of Nazareth, you know what was the most amazing thing about this blind man? He knew something about Jesus that nobody else knew. He calls him son of David. The disciples didn't know he was the son of David. Nobody knew. What led him to know that? It's because he was desperate for Jesus. See, when you're desperate for Jesus, you'll learn things about the Lord that nobody else really understands and grapples with, especially people who just kind of embraces Christianity at a very surface level. You have a deeper understanding who Jesus is. And Jesus really stopped, I believe, in this passage. We don't know how he knew this, because he heard son of David. He thought, whoa, what's going on here? How does this guy know that I'm the son of David? And he stops. Will you embrace a spirituality that's messy? Because again, I look up to people like, these, like this blind man where they have this sense of desperateness for Jesus that just again pulsates with just energy and passion. And Metro, the challenge for you today is this. Will you allow your crippled soul 
to escape the cold and sterile spirituality of a religion where only the perfect and non-disabled get in? Would you pursue him? Would you stop pretending today? Will you stop trying to be so competent? And will you stop trying to be so dignified and learn to be desperate for our Lord Jesus Christ? Amen. That's messy spirituality. Let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. You guys have some big decisions to make today. I don't know where you are in your spiritual lives today. Um, some might be hiding behind your spirituality, but you gotta make a decision. Will you stop pretending? Now, I'm not saying that you, you have to be completely yourself around everyone, because I don't know if that, that might be dangerous. But there are some people that actually really love you and care for you, and you still continue to pretend around them. And the longer you live your life not encountering intimacy in relationships, the quicker your soul feels like it's dying. And that's why as we get older, when we're younger, we get to, our egos kind of help us to get through that. But when we get older, we realize our egos are not worth it. And we realize that we don't really have real close relationships and it hurts us. It hurts us in such a deep way that many of us, we even have to pretend that it doesn't hurt us because it hurts us so much. And that's scary. Jesus is here. He would love to welcome you, but you gotta stop pretending even before him, but before some of those in your life that you need just to be completely honest with. That's the first thing. Will you say, I'm gonna stop pretending? And will you stop focusing on being so competent? Some of you really hurt yourself because you feel like you're not competent enough for Jesus. If Jesus really looked for our competency, God wouldn't have sent him to die for us. You know why God sent Jesus here? It's because we're so incompetent. If we were competent, Jesus wouldn't have to come. So understand that, God loves you so much. And because we're so incompetent, Jesus came and died for us on the cross and rose from the dead. He created this position so that we can go before the Lord. You didn't create it. Your competency will never create this position where you can go before God. Jesus did. You don't get credit for that. Only Jesus does. So will you lay down your competency and embrace your incompetency so that you can go and desire and depend upon Jesus more? And the last thing is, will you stop being so dignified? And will you learn to be undignified, being desperate for Jesus no matter what? Because when you can be desperate, you'll end up doing things that don't make sense. But then many times you'll get insights about Jesus that most people don't know. They'll say you are the son of David when nobody else knows that he is. So I'm gonna give you some time just to connect with God right now because this is important before we leave here. Will you embrace messy spirituality? Or will we just continue to keep living the life that maybe you might be living right now? So I'm gonna just give you a moment to connect with him and I'm just gonna pray us out. Go to him. Hmm. I just sense that some of you, um, you've been hurt real bad 
when you were growing up, none of this was because it was your fault. It happened to you because people took advantage of you. And uh, you continue to pretend it doesn't exist. Embracing it, as awful and as hard as it's been, is really the first step towards the path to healing. And I hope that you can. Because if you keep pretending it never happened to you, you're going to become hollow inside. And the best version of you will just be the shell that's you, but there's so much beauty to you. And God can breathe life into those things if you would just be honest and vulnerable with it. So God, I pray for those people in this room that might have gone through some really hard times in their life. And God, they just didn't know how to process it as they were kids. And as they're getting older, they still don't. And they live their life with a sense of having to cover it up. God, would you deliver them from this tyranny of living a secret, dark life? And God, would you help them to be honest and vulnerable about it so God, they can experience your power and your healing power. I pray for all of those, God, that are, are committed to stop pretending, stop trying to be so competent, and stop trying to be dignified. God, that you'll just be with them this week, and God, that you'll just really speak to them and minister to them, and God, that you would help us all as a church to be desperate for you. Help us to do that, and we ask that you would forgive us because we just have not been. Help us to be like this blind man where we realize that it's only you, only you can get us through the day and can help us for tomorrow. It's in your name that we pray, amen.